PTF here, slight change of plans on today's show. Originally, I was just going to do one big show with Maury Wolf and then Nick looking back at last weekend's racing. But Maury and I went way long. I'm going to reduce, I'm going to release that as a separate show. Um, it's all evergreen too, more or less. So I'm going to now release separately this Nick show. But in both shows, you're going to hear references to the idea that it was once a, all one. But anyway, just ignore that and enjoy. You get some extra content from us here this week at In The Money Media. And uh, now I'll do that awkward thing where I throw it to myself. PTF back with you. If you're listening to the podcast version, if you're watching the video or joining you for the first time, PTF with Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? I asked you that just as you took a sip of coffee. Bed I'm time. doing great, Pete. Yeah, obviously in need of more coffee, but that never changes. And that fits with the uh, with the discussion of this recap. That's about right. Well, let's start off. Though. That's right. And it's an elegant and artful segue, as it was, talking about coffee and talking about instant coffee, who I, I think incorrectly had hypothesized um, before the LeConte. Hey, is this a horse who maybe, you know, hasn't t- t- has had enough form in the book that maybe isn't as likely to take an explosive move forward. I, I kind of felt like he did take an explosive move forward, especially when you consider the trip for this horse, you know, pretty much wide throughout and runs a really good time. And I just thought it looked very stylish in victory in the Lecompton, a race that came back uh, pretty strong on the clock. What did you think of it? I thought it was uh, the necessary step forward. No doubt about it. I mean, from a buyer speed figure perspective, he improved by 10 points off the Kentucky jockey club. I don't think it changes my theory on the Kentucky Jockey Club that the off the pace horses were helped. Um, all things considered, and, and so the, the reference points on Saturday are the clearest reference point is Louisiana, which was the race right before, and the Silver Bullet Day to a slightly lesser extent, but still a race worth comparing it to. And I think the inevitable conclusion is that Instant Coffee got a really good setup. You know, he got a he got a very strong pace to run at for this level and this time of year. And Echo again, who I accurately predicted after his debut, was not going to be a graded stake horse. Uh, and I hate to put it that way because I know he was pulled up. I hope he's okay. Um, and so Instant Coffee got the best of it. He he certainly looked more professional. Um, I I thought that it was the type of race that you'd like to see from a Derby contender, because he's probably going to have to come from off of it. You know, will he be able to negotiate a clean trip in a field of 20 with pace in front of him that spreads the field out even more? You know, that's what we'll have to see in, in subsequent starts. And maybe we see him twice more in the risen star and Louisiana Derby, or maybe he goes elsewhere. And, uh, but we'll see. I, I thought it was a very compelling effort from two fills who I didn't like. Uh, but I guess keeping the conversation at this point to instant coffee, it was the appropriate step forward. And he continues to look like a horse. That's a very serious player on the trail. The pattern is going to look real nice on paper. I think uh, the, the next time we look at him, that, that was really the move, the move we were looking for. Now let's clarify something about the Kentucky jockey club, because I think a lot of people listening are going to say, wait a second, he closed there and it was a slow pace but you made an excellent point i just want you to reiterate it about what why you thought that unusual race flow might still have favored a runner like instant coffee there yeah this is kind of a of a problem that we see with a lot of modern jockeys in that they're a little afraid of using a horse's speed and and i don't know whether it's that they don't want to explain themselves to to the trainers or what but we get all of these packs just stuck together especially in route races on dirt much more so than we used to you know gone are the days of of guys like angel cordero or lafitte pinkai that knew how to to separate a field a little bit and and 
and make it much more difficult exactly to to keep up with those horses that would really sort of, of do away with your late kick and so the Kentucky Jockey Club being a race where the pack was so stuck together also being a two-turn race you know not early in a two-year-old season but still for two-year-olds the horses that could finish had such an advantage when they had such a marginal deficit at the quarter pole. And so, you know, if you, if you turn a, a situation where the reason why, and, and this is a, a crude comparison, but the reason why speed horses win match races so much is because they force their opponent to keep up with them. And that is going to keep you from finishing with the same amount of gusto. And so when you do that and you take your pace advantage, you negate it by basically turning everything into a two furlong sprint. And the closers have a decided advantage on dirt. There's just no, no substitute for it. You know, it's the reason why closers in general struggle in dirt routes, you know, and you'll go broke betting on deep closers and dirt routes because they often have, they don't have enough pace to run at, but in this scenario where you're allowing them to get so much closer, now their job gets a lot easier. And I think the Kentucky jockey club was about as, as, as clear a high profile example of that as we've seen in recent years. And I do think Pete, that them being two year olds had something to do with it too. You know, yeah. being that there were horses in there going long for the first time or going a longer distance than they ever had. I think that's, you made so many great points. We've talked about this. This is JK. The phrase he uses is inviting the closers into the race. We see that we talk about speed as a weapon. And then that's just something in one's understanding of races that I think will help you a lot in designing races and trying to, figure out what's going to happen on the track. When you think about it from the jockey's point of view, when a horse is a doubt, especially a speed horse is a doubtful stayer. When you're not sure if they're going to get that distance, you try to go, typically they'll try to go slower early. Sometimes it can be to their detriment. Sometimes it can work out, but you know, there's a lot of nuance here, but I thought it was an excellent point and one worth highlighting. I did want to talk a little bit more about two fills who you alluded to liking this effort. This was a horse who was uh, put up by uh, Eric DeCoster um, as a potentially interesting one to, uh, to to look at going forward. Eric's doing great work, as is Eric Solomon over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. We encourage folks to go over there and, and, and check it out. Um, what was it about two fills performance that you liked in here? You know, it, instant coffee, Luis I is basically treated two fills as a fullback. Right, he followed him around there, and as soon as two fills moved, instant coffee started to move. The difference is that, you know, Saez, as I've said before, is, is all armed, so he's like flapping away at the at the three eighth ball while two fills was still moving pretty what looked like pretty easily. Um, but instant coffee was was really just getting into the the grinding mode there. You know, from a from a race flow perspective, two fills had it a little bit tougher than instant coffee. He didn't have it tough in that he he really benefited from the same amount of pace. The difference is that I thought he had a little less foundation and that it had been longer since he ran. He also has a trainer that's a little bit less, I don't want to say familiar because Larry Ravelli's been training for a long time, but a little less accustomed to getting a three-year-old route horse on dirt ready for a race like this. And I think maybe slightly more inclined to let him kind of run his way into to a little bit more fitness, if that makes sense. So I thought he ran well. I, I don't, I would, I would back him in a worth noting. He actually came back on the gallop out too. So I don't know if maybe that was more instant coffee kind of being throttled down pretty quickly, but um, he is a horse that I, I didn't particularly like on Saturday. I thought he ran a lot better than I expected. And so I'd be happy to back him in a race. Uh, maybe that is going to have, I think his best chance is going to be 
sitting closer in a slower paced race and, and holding more of an edge into the stretch than basically being a length and a half up on a, a real grinding closer like instant coffee. Taking a look quickly here at the closing prices for the future bet. Forte ended up getting bet too much. I, I wasn't going to mess around at, at anything less. Oh, you were intrigued by seven to one? Yes, seven to one is a little skinny. A little skinny, I thought. Though it's interesting. I was saying that it's almost like the old days, you know, like in the old days, that that's the price I would have guessed. I, the other thing is that the board didn't exactly tilt on the all other three-year-old males. I mean, a heavy, heavy favorite at two to one, but nothing like insane. Nothing like I expected. I said four to five. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, that's that's another that's another piece of it. It's always hard when you're guessing these things. Two fills clocking in at 91 to one instant coffee, 15 to one in there. Either of those numbers uh, intrigue you at all? No, yeah. <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, two fills at 91 to one, definitely more so than instant coffee at 15 to one. My two fills concern is that I still think there are some, some necessary reservations about exactly how far he wants to go. So uh, he doesn't scream, 10 for a long type instant coffee looks like a derby horse at this point, but we're a long way from home and 15 to one. I mean, just looking at it theoretically, you know, taking all of the three-year-olds that weren't in that pool out of the equation for a second, instant coffee might be the third most backed horse from his barn. Right. right? And so the <laughs> likelihood that he's, that he's a lot less than 15 to one is very, very low. Yeah. It's, it's at least 50, 50. And, and, and that might be, I might be underselling it. Echo again, did walk off. Um, you know, you mentioned that, uh, that un unfortunate, uh, having to be pulled up, but hopefully that's a good sign. Um, you have no interest on the cutback. See, I, I would still give a chance, uh, to be a, a top quality horse. I just think that you've been playing the wrong game. Yeah. I was being uh, boorish about it. Um, on the cutback, <laughs> sure. I think he could be a perfectly fine sprinter. Um, I, I think that he, I still have this, uh, I don't know what exactly the word is, but I loved stellar tap so much after his two-year-old win at Saratoga. And, and it, it looked a lot like echo again, except it was slower, but he got the lead. He, he wired the field. And then it was just, he was one of those horses that peaked in Saratoga and he never got back to it. And I thought echo again's race debut was so dressed up. The funny thing about echo again, and we touched on it on Friday was that, he was leading that race that got called off halfway through. And, and so you can't find a replay of it anywhere. And I asked uh, our mutual friend, Travis Stone, who's the race caller at Churchill. He's like, he would have won by 10. He was, he was cruising, you know, he was good. So I'm like, well, man, maybe he is a router, you know, and then the, the Dahl Remington race and this, I think he probably needs to just be rerouted to shorter races. The good thing is this barn is, is very astute when it comes to spotting the horses that should stay in, in route races. And, and, you know, I mean, these are the, the people that cut back Jackie's warrior. They've cut back, you know, a number of horses over the years that, uh, that looked like they were a little distance challenged. So yeah, Woody, Woody Stevens and Pat day mile look like the, the graded stake races in the future for echo again. All right. Just wanted to clarify on that one before we move on, let's talk about some allowance action, starting with that allowance race at fairgrounds on Saturday that, as you noted off air might be more significant and in, in who didn't show up than who did. And there was that weird thing that, you know, we had Frank McGoey on the plus side saying that all the sources he were hearing was saying that Tappet's conquest was going to go in the LeCompte. And then they end up going in the allowance. Um, Tyler Wisman and I were chatting and Tyler was like, well, if they, if, if Frank liked him in the, in the, in the, the comp you must think he's a lock in the allowance race and my comment on that was not necessarily like sometimes that 
that lack of confidence when you see that late on with connections making a decision sometimes that can be really telling and and perhaps that's some of what was going on there give us your thoughts on this uh, allowance race and you think it might have some relevance going forward yeah i mean at the very least it tells you the respect that a guy like brad cox has for banishing who was scratched out of here. And I think that ultimately was why Tappet's conquest was routed here because I mean, presumably it was going to be a softer race. Um, I didn't love the ride that Tappet's conquest got. Um, the race we're speaking of was the ninth on Saturday determinedly wired the field. He set a very, very slow pace. Uh, he went 25 and one 48 and four. So this was a mile of a 16th race that finished in 45.26 for comparison purposes. The Lecomte finished in 45.12. Now in all likelihood, this track slowed down. I think there's a very decent chance of it. A lot of times when the lights come on that happens, but I will say, and, and Randy Moss treated it that way in terms of buyer speed figures. Uh, he made about a six point adjustment in terms of, of the track slowing down this particular race, Tappet's conquest really didn't have much set up. He's a horse though, that broke his maiden stalking the pace and, and practically setting the pace. So I think the, I think that Florent Giroux is maybe a, a little conservative in the way he rode him with that said, Pete, I mean, we're talking about a horse that was in the Derby future wager pool. You know, he was probably supposed to win he did kind of get wedged inside a little bit late. He didn't have a clear path for the whole way down the stretch. He maybe was a little reticent to come through on the inside. He gets a shot in the Risen Star, in my opinion. He deserves to go. Um, he looks like a horse who will really benefit from more ground, but it didn't have that. You know, this is the race that we referenced on Friday that Cyberknife won last year. It was a one other than that he won. He ran a faster final time than the Lecompte, and everybody, you know, was up in arms when the buyer figures were adjusted. But it didn't have that panache this year. It didn't have that, you know, that element that was like, okay, well, these horses might be very, very serious. Banishing, you mentioned how there was an incident in the stall. He was cast in the stall, I think they said, and uh, picked up a knock that ultimately I think they think is going to be minor. But, you know, what they say with derby horses, you know, sometimes even the, the seemingly insignificant setbacks can, you know, you, you, everything has to go right in a typical year for, for a horse to, uh, you know, really arrive. What are you hearing about next steps for him? Will they just they'll, they'll just go on and, and uh, head to stakes action if they can get in? Yeah, I'm assuming that since they didn't go to the Southwest, that Brendan Walsh will probably just reroute him to the Risen Star and start to train him towards that. Um, this is obviously a horse with very little foundation as well. He had two starts at two. He did go the route already, though, in winning on Boxing Day. So, you know, it's... It's obviously not, I guess what it all depends on is what Brendan's plan was prior to the LeCompte. If he planned on running him three times, it's probably a little bit more of a setback. But if he was thinking of doing like LeCompte, Louisiana Derby, Kentucky Derby, then it's not that big a deal, in my opinion. It'll just probably require him to maybe get after him a little bit more in training over the next few weeks. There's something to be said also for letting these three-year-olds knock heads early in the year and maybe beat on each other a little bit before you get back into the fray. But I mean, in an ideal world, he would have run on, he would have run on Saturday. And I'll tell you the way that race unfolded. If he had been on the lead, he would have won. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. While we're talking allowance races for three-year-olds, there was one at Aqueduct to close out the day. And because Brad Cox doesn't have enough 
um, fast three-year-olds. Uh, we, 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 we got another one of his to talk about here, Slip Mahoney, who uh, got the job done nearly wire to wire in, uh, in a race that, that played out a bit like a match race. Yeah, it was, you know, there was a, a well-fancied two-year-old at Saratoga that ran in his, uh, it, it really ran late in his debut, Krupe, who came back and was over bet in a, in a maiden race next time out, ran in one of those closing weekend maiden races and one of the horses that he, the horse that he ran into on Saturday was Slip Mahoney, who had been beaten by Tappet Triche in the uh, in a maiden race at uh, at Aqueduct in December. And so Slip Mahoney came back and broke his maiden on Saturday. This is just a really, it's a really sexy, slow, long distance pedigree, right? He's by Arrogate out of Got Lucky. Got Lucky is a mare who won the Spinster. Um, she ran down on Tappable in the Spinster in uh, 2015, I believe, uh, for Todd Pletcher. She was a Hillendale horse. This is like all distance on the damn side, Pete. I mean, it is, this is a horse who should run forever. So he's another Al Gold, Gold Square horse, maybe one that Brad might end up looking a little bit more towards a race like the Belmont, but he'll get his shot. You know, the tricky thing about winning right now is that the Withers comes back too fast. He likely does not want to back him up for a race like the Gotham, um, even though he could because he just wanted a mile, but he feels like a horse that you probably want to tack more distance onto as time goes by. Ultimately, looks like a certainty in the Wood Memorial. He's slow. He needs to get better. I just like this horse. I like this horse, and I like Tapitriche. They're probably the types of big, slow horses that I fall for that don't <laughs> end up mounting too much. But, I, you know, I, I like him. I think he's game, and uh, and I thought he ran a you know, he ran a race that was solid on Saturday. He needs to get faster, no doubt about it. But, you know, he's one of those horses that'll go under the radar a little bit because, look, I mean, quite honestly, what happens in New York this time of year is not as uh, as really well regarded as what happens in places like uh, Florida or Louisiana or even Arkansas. We're going to get to the Silver Bullet Day in a second, talking Oaks Trail. But I was did want to give you the opportunity to make any other comment that you might have on that uh, on that future wager, if there was anything anything notable i mean i think we both agree a little bit surprised that the the baffert um category number 40 closed at uh closed at two to one you see anything else in there that surprised you um, and and like would you even would you ever consider would you have ever considered backing the baffert category at as short as two to one? Oh, at two to one i would have yeah i mean you know i'm not i'm not dying to to really make bets on uh, on two year olds or not on uh, two to one shots, but I thought that was a pretty fair price. I mean, you start to stack up who who he has, um, you know, in all likelihood, future pool. I don't know what number it'll be. I guess this was two, so three. future pool four. This was three, so future pool five will have all of his horses in them because they will have to be relocated to different trainers by then. So at right. that point, they will become eligible again, you know, provided some of them have points. So it, it, my point being, when those horses get to other trainers, they're all going to get bet, right? I mean, we're talking about Arabian Night and Arabian Lion and Cave Rock and Reincarnate and Newgate and all these horses that have been running, you know, relatively well. Um, some of the vanquished horses from the, the Los Alamitos Futurity. So, you know, there's there's something to be said for that, Um so, yeah, I would have taken the two to one there. I mean, looking through these, some of them were I, I feel so bad for anybody that bet logins at 16 to one. And we tried, you know, and, and the word came out uh, yesterday that Brad is hopeful that he gets him back in his barn at, on February 1st. And I mean, he is 
he's about five times that price to get to the race alone. So, but you know, he was in the pool. Um, I'll give you one. I, I mentioned hit show on Friday. He's running in the Southwest on Saturday. He's going to get a huge pace to run at. He was 77 to one. You know, I'd probably be willing to entertain him banishing despite missing his race went off 27 to one. Um, that's a little hard to believe, but one of the horses that I mentioned um, on Friday was uh, Tapatrice, who was 45, still a little low. I'd probably want, you know, roughly two times that or so. I like Shopper's Revenge a little bit. 56 to 1 is low. So I don't think there ended up being a lot of value that we missed. But um, those are the ones that probably would have given me a little bit of attention. How about Extra and Yeho at 13 to 1? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, I guess what happens is I'll give you twice that. <laughs> there's little enough money bet that one one you know somebody associated with the team or doesn't it don't some of these have that kind of feel to it that somebody's just over betting the pot yeah they do exactly exactly they uh i spend too much time looking at small pools nowadays so i can see the difference that's made by one bet there was what 200 and there was 244,000 in yeah. win bets so i mean it was yeah it it, it was you know, the other thing is that Churchill's trying to do the right thing by getting more horses into this pool. Obviously, the you know, the best thing would be if it was open to everybody, but we're not equipped to handle that in a paramutual fashion. Um, I mean, one, I guess that we spoke highly of this horse on on Friday. Cyclone Mischief was 44 to one. I mean, the one thing about Cyclone Mischief that probably would concern you there is, I mean, if if he has points and he's can stand up, Dale's running him. Right. So you have a very good chance to have some action there, yeah. but he might also be more than 44 to one by then. So, you know, that's, the, that's the flip side of it, but yeah, it's it not was bad. Uh, it's not, I'd, I'd reach there before, you know, I mentioned about giant mischief 27 to one doesn't do anything for me though. I was thinking that you might get, you might be able to, you know, might get lost in the betting and you get 75 to one, but it just, yeah, there's not, there's not a ton, but I, you know what though? I like going through it. I like the exercise. It just, you know, I feel like getting more and more familiar with these form lines is it's going to pay dividends down the line in just in just regular races for three year olds, triple crown aside. So I'm happy we did that. And I say we, we push on and do it again for the uh, the other future pools. When's the next one? About three weeks. Yeah, February 10th to the 12th. So that's a little little bit of a light weekend from a prep perspective. That'll be uh, Sam F. Davis. And it'll the pool will actually close shortly before kickoff for the uh, Super Bowl. Oh, that's kind of fun. Um, that'll be a good be a good weekend. Some crazy football coming up this weekend. I got away with it, by the way. I got away with my uh, my Brock Purdy uh, play being being uh, trying to be a wise guy and not using the Giants in my loser pool. I was wa- I was watching cartoons with Perrin by the by the second quarter. No, that's not true. We watched the Weird Al movie in the second quarter. We we didn't. There were no cartoons involved. But yeah, that was a little disappointing. But. Um, yeah, that's going to be a ton of fun. Let's talk Silver Bullet Day real quick because the Alice look not only looked good for Brad Cox. Stop me if you've heard this one, but um, this one, and you know, maybe you can give us some insight. You, you started to before into the figure making process. This number came back really strong, um, especially with what we've been seeing in this in this division. How serious of an Oaks contender is the Alice look? Yeah, I mean, 89 is the new 100 in the Philly, uh, three-year-old Philly division. So you're right. I mean, and I'm not making light of it at all. It was a fast race by the standards of this crop. And and look, I mean, in general, it's a fast race by the standards of three-year-old Phillies in January. So the situation here was that, you know, this race was a mile and 70 yards. They went in 143.55 seconds. 
what happened here from a figure making perspective that does make you more comfortable with awarding a high figure is that, I mean, they buried everybody else. They were, they were 13 plus lengths ahead of everybody else. So, you know, you get into a situation like that and, and from a figure making perspective, you almost let those horses sort of indicate what kind of race it was because your assumption is that they ran their race, you know, especially a horse like Ayu Navano, who had gotten 71 and a 65 fig two times in a row coming into that. Well, if you give Hayu Navano the 66 that she's run recently, that puts the winning fig in the high eighties. So it was a race with a, a, a relatively solid pace. I mean, not a, you know, not a super fast, early, slow, late situation. Um, I believe on Timeform US, it came back uh, relatively well he I'm sorry Craig has not put his work in yet but um, I don't I don't think it's going to be a particularly fast pace I mean maybe one quarter of it so these horses looked good I mean they ran well chop chop is a horse who somewhat shockingly went off a huge favorite in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies because every wise guy in the world thought that she would come from off the pace and win and then Tyler Gaffillon took Wonder Wheel back and she came from off the pace to win so I'm excited to see these horses in the Rachel Alexandra and the uh, the Fairgrounds Oaks moving forward maybe Brad Cox splits them up and uh, yeah, if he didn't have 27 good three-year-old Colts, now he's got a couple of good fillies too. <laughs> just for good measure. Just for good measure. We got a fun week coming here on the network. Uh, expecting expecting a big announcement. We'll just leave it at that. Um, but then we have some stuff we can talk about. We're going to be covering the Coast to Coast wagers later in the week. And then some special stuff for the Pegasus card. I'm going to be down there, which I'm looking forward to. I zip down there on Thursday. If you're around at uh, Gulfstream, holler. Uh, always fun to get a little bit of a meetup. Maybe we'll grab a drink somewhere with some uh, listeners, viewers, etc. And then uh, Duke Matisse, I think I said that, is going to be on the show. And we should be covering Florida thoroughly. So it'll be a, it'll be a very good um, week here. Keep it locked. Uh, if you had a look at all, I'm going to be doing horse-by-horse previews for the World Cup and the World Cup turf. In fact, I think I should probably be working on those today. What uh, <laughs> any early thoughts, not necessarily selections, but just uh, overview. I mean, the turf looked deep to me. Yeah. Good rate. I mean, there are a couple of good races, you know, they're they're They don't have much star power, but that's okay because there really aren't very many stars in racing right now. You know, we, the handicap division is thin. So I think aside from Taba, everybody you'd expect to be there is there. So I'm excited to see it. You know, defunded's a fast horse that will certainly be uh, he'll make his presence known and, and I would imagine Irat will employ similar tactics to what he did last year on Life is Good. Cyberknife, obviously, pretty much every dance he danced, he he showed up. So uh, it's fun to have him in the mix as well. And the horses coming out of the local prep all ran very well, including Skippy Longstocking. I think it's safe to say that sometimes Safi Joseph Jr.'s horses are just a little bit better at home. So I'm excited. I think it's a, you know, I think it's a fun race and, and everybody that you know, focuses on the right things is realizing that the Pegasus has not always been a great betting race, right? It's often been dominated by favorites. And um, in fact, I I don't, I don't think I can recall a non-favorite, maybe the last non-favorite to win was city of light. And that was only because accelerate was favored. So, you know, it's just not that kind of running, which is fun. Let's get, let's get something more interesting. What a tight band. I'm just looking, just glancing at Timeform us and their spotlight ratings. It's like, other than you know, you, you you could take out maybe the the low number for them is Last Samurai at one sixteen, and then like everything else seems like it's between. Uh, there are exceptions, but it, it, it's 
tightly a lot of horses between 121 and 126 on their on their ratings i think that speaks to the kind of race it is uh, i'm looking forward to going through it for our friends over at the races.com i'll hopefully think of it we'll link to it in our free newsletter which if you're not signed up for you should because it's free and it's a great way to keep track of all the news all the content etc in the money slash email for that one any closing thoughts for you nick before we get out of here no, excited to keep go chugging along the Derby Trail. I think we'll have a relatively quiet weekend, Derby Trail-wise, aside from the Southwest at Oakland. But, you know, then we've got that big Saturday, first week in February. So here we go, headed towards May. We're going to be doing a live stream for that as well. Don't have all the details yet, but that's going to be fun for the first uh, first Saturday in in February. I will be here in the bunker, as I'm not, I'm not I can't do the two weekends in a row in Florida as much as I'd like to um, get out of some of this rain we're having here in New York or snow in the case of uh, J.K. and Saratoga. Um, there was one other programming note. Oh, if you're watching on YouTube, check out the audio of this show because there's going to be a, a an interview. With a professional horse player, you're going to want to hear Maury Wolf ahead of this in the audio version. Um, but that's it. That's going to do it for this show. We'll thank Maury one more time. We'll thank you, Nick. We'll thank our founding partners, Ten Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. To learn more about their mission, to give generously to them, go to trfinc.org slash players. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you, the listeners and viewers, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is... Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion, Drew Coatney, our Chief Creative Officer, Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos! <laughs>